Good morning, church. Great to see. Now, seriously, seriously, people, we're at church, all right? Let, let me clarify something, because uh, sometimes you guys don't quite make connections. How many here are Seahawks fans? Yeah. Okay. Seahawks fans do not like the Patriots. The Broncos are playing the Patriots. Therefore, today, all Seahawks fans are Broncos fans. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you're rooting with me. Thank you for that. I, God bless you. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this series called Stamina, and we were talking about just taking our right next steps in 2016. And I want to remind you of the two challenges you had over the last couple of weeks. Number one is that we encouraged you, hey, you personally take your spiritual next step. And the place we said is a great way to investigate that is CTK Life. Um, in the comments today, and you probably saw it as you were coming in, there's all these tables set out. The reason for that is that we're trying to encourage people to go investigate the opportunities that exist in this CTK Life, this magazine that tells uh, you know, about the small groups we have. It tells you all about the classes we do. It tells about workshops that we have as potential ways to engage our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Maybe you want to serve. Maybe you want to get somebody connected. Maybe you're new around here. This is the perfect time to join in. So in the comments today, as you're going out, I want to encourage you, stop by the tables, ask the questions, investigate but just take your spiritual next step. Now, I realize those next steps might not be actually with the church. It might actually be personally. And I told you about my spiritual next step. I'm going to be reading through the Bible this year. And one of the things I discovered, you know, they have all these different Bible reading plans. And again, that's, it's in CDK Life if you, if you want to know where to find some of those plans. It's on my app. And I've, I've, I've found on my app that you can actually listen to the Bible. And so I'm listening to this guy reading. His voice is kind of annoying, but it's still it's so cool. Um, because I, he pronounces all the names right, and it's just fascinating. I'm going, oh, I'm actually ingesting God's word in a different way. And, and, and for, but for me, that's my spiritual next step. Church, what is it going to be for you? I want to encourage you, make sure you just take a step in 2016. Well, there was a second challenge, and that happened last week, and that was a challenge that was actually had to go along with this little card. If you didn't get this card, it's basically a prayer card. I want to encourage you to pick one up. It's on the flat spaces out in the commons. This card was very simple. It's with this instruction. Lord, who is it that you would like me to pray for? We're not asking you to actually choose. We're actually asking you to go to the God of the universe and say, Lord, who would you like me to pray for? And, and then just taking a few moments every day and praying for the three people that you have on this list. And you're, what you're praying for those people, that they would take a spiritual next step. It's a way of us actually loving those around us. And who knows, again, who knows who God's going to give you. But loving those people through prayer. We believe that everybody matters. We believe that God cares and loves everyone. And it's just right that God would prompt our hearts to pray for the people that he wants to move at this time in their lives. So I encourage you again, make sure if you don't have one of these that you pick them up. Thirdly, tonight, uh, tonight is our ownership night. And it's a time for those of us who are leaders and volunteers around here to gather together and be able to celebrate what God's done over this last year. And even more important than that, just look forward, look at the vision God has given us and what are the steps God is going to be leading us to this next year. Well, church, I want to encourage you. It, again, it, this goes same thing. If you're new and you want to, hey, I don't know anything about this church. I want to find out. Tonight would be the perfect night because we get to do some family business. You got to kind of see about the insides of this place and what's going on here and hear all about the details of how God is shaping us and moving us for our future. So some great things are happening around the church. This weekend, we're starting something new. It's going to be a whole new series. Grant's going to come and start in a jet lag kind of sort of way and tell you all about it. But check this out.
morning, sleep in service. Sleep is not something I'm very familiar with right now. I'm running on fumes and caffeine. That's it. I've been awake since about 3.30 because I've been 15 hours ahead of you for the last two and a half weeks. And so this could go either way. So uh, Lord Jesus, help me. That would be awesome. Are you ready to dive in? Here we go. If you've got a Bible or an app, we're going to be in Psalm 51. Do not make an assumption as to what part of Psalm 51 we're going to spend most of our time with. I have a bubble I like living inside of my bubble. If anybody asks me to intentionally step outside of my bubble, I get nervous because the truth is I like my bubble because my bubble is very, very orderly and it's organized around the way I like to do life. I found that I often get stuck inside of my bubble. Some people would call my bubble a rut. I don't like that because I would define a rut as a grave with the ends kicked out. Think about it for just a second. Not everything inside of my bubble is bad. In fact, if I was honest, I would just have to say that, that, that my bubble is a comfortable place in which I am able to do my life and everything is oriented around my preferences. Just the fact that I have a perfect, convenient, self-driven, predictable, normal, happy little bubble doesn't seem to mesh very well with a God who keeps calling me to step out and take a step of faith. I just returned from a step of faith. My wife, Laurel, went with me. We've been on the other side of the world for the last 16 days. And I will be honest with you. There were a lot of reasons why we could have just stayed home. Some of the reasons were valid. We had some health stuff going on. Life has just been intensely busy. Could have just defaulted because of busyness. There's always the issues of safety and convenience when you're going to the other side of the world. But most of it just came down to the fact it just would have been easier to stay home. We had issues that could have called us to stay inside of our comfortable little bubble, but none of them seemed big enough to outweigh the call that we felt, the tug that we felt in our heart to just take a step of faith. I told you before I left, I've been stuck in a bit of a rut. I can always tell when I'm in a spiritual rut because my faith gets predictable, my prayers get stale, people stop being opportunities and they turn into problems and interruptions, and I know when that happens inside of me, I've got to do something fairly drastic to shake myself out of the little bubble that I call Grant's world. I have a bubble, you have a bubble, let me share some stuff from my bubble and maybe you'll find some common places and if you do relate at any level, if you would nod your head, that would be awesome because right now my head feels like my chin's going to hit my chest and I'm going to have like one of those driving moments when you just don't realize how far you've gone when you're somewhat unconscious. Because right now, if I could describe my feeling to you, I feel like my head's floating on a string right over here. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So if you're a person of faith, you should start praying for me right now. Anyway, here's some areas where I get stuck within myself. I get stuck within my background. I was raised in a Christian home with more blessings than I can count, which means I've got a certain way of thinking, a certain way of processing. I have a way of life, and they're products of my background. I have a way of doing life, and anything outside of that bubble, it's not wrong. It's just different, and yours is different as well. And the truth is this. I don't like different. I like the same. I like the same because same is easier. We all say, oh, we love change. No, you don't. If I change your coffee order, you freak out because we don't like change. We actually like things to be normal and predictable. That's why we all have a bubble. The reality is I could have stayed home. I could have chosen to spend the last 16 days with my people, especially the sleep-in service. I love you guys. <laughs> I love my people. But if I would have done that, I would have missed out on an opportunity to miss God's people. See, that's the ugly side of our bubble. It cheats us out of opportunities to see what God's doing somewhere else. It's easy to get stuck in what you know because it's easy and predictable. Another place I get stuck is often in my wiring. I'm an introvert. That surprises some of you, but it's true. 
I'm an introvert who loves to recharge alone. The thought of being with a group of people in close, you know, close confines for an extended period of time on the other side of the world somewhat freaked me out. Everything inside of me is challenged when I've got a lot of people pressing in around me because of my wiring. Now I was fortunate to actually be traveling with people that I not only like, but I actually love. That made it a little bit easier. I could have chosen just to say, I don't want to step outside of my bubble. I'd rather just be alone. But if I would have done that, I never would have had the opportunity to see how creative God is in the way he constructs his family and creation. Sometimes I get stuck in my problems. I have first world problems. That's what I call them. My world comes apart when my iPhone glitches. When my remote doesn't work, my world is falling apart. When my football team loses, my world can come to an end because somehow I am just, I'm just inextricably attached to a group of guys wearing really tight pants and hard hats. I don't know why. <laughs> if my foot fantasy football administrator won't approve my trade, there could be hell to pay in my world because that affects my little bubble. I freak out when just one of my vehicles stops working. I don't like it when my custom-ordered coffee is less than 180 degrees because we all know Jesus loves coffee at 180 degrees. I call them first-world problems because the rest of the world doesn't worry about that kind of stuff. I don't remember the last time when I actually worried whether or not I was going to eat that day. I don't remember the last time when I actually felt like somehow my freedom was being threatened or my safety was actually compromised for any reason at all. It's easy to get stuck in my problems, which to, the, to most people in the world aren't really problems at all. But boy, I can get stuck there really, really quick. I often get stuck in my perspective because my perspective is always right. And you think yours is always right too. If you ask me my perspective on the tsunami that swept over Indonesia and Thailand about a decade ago, I would say it was a horrible event. An unbelievable, despicable natural disaster. I mean, when a quarter of a million people die in a matter of seconds, I can't find anything redeemable or good about that. That's my perspective. And like I said, my perspective is always right. At least we like to believe that our perspectives are right. Until a week ago, I'm meeting with a group of young pastors. They're all less than half of my age, which just seems tragically wrong in my brain. <laughs> and we're sitting around a table together, and I'm asking them the question, in your country, less than 1% of the population are believers, and yet in this little area, this little island where you guys are ministering, there's actually been an explosion of, of Jesus. Churches are growing. Things are happening in amazing ways. They're planting churches right and left. They can't even keep up with some of the spiritual growth. And I asked them, I said, what's the reason? Why are your churches growing? Why is Christianity exploding here? You know what their answer was? The tsunami. I'm like, What? That doesn't fit inside of my tidy little box. I asked them to explain it, and they said, when the tsunami happened, the Christians stayed. We stayed, and we brought water, and we helped people rebuild their lives, and the Buddhists in the area saw our heart for service, and they began to ask questions. Can I submit something? Sometimes our perspective is just wrong, because it's inextricably woven into our little bubble. We only see things the way, through, uh, we only see the world in the way that we actually see them. Another area where I can get stuck is in my opinions. I have an opinion on just about everything. So do you. I know that to be true because I read your comment cards every single week. You have opinions about the temperature of the room and the volume of the music and who sat in front of you and whether or not they had a distracting kid or not. I mean, you have opinions all over the place. And as Americans, can we just admit that we have an issue when it comes to our opinion? Because we just think we're right about everything. I mean, you're welcome to disagree with my opinion. That's fine if you want to be wrong. That's kind of the perspective we have, right? 
when, in my high school, you didn't get to pick the little caption that was beside your name. Your peers picked it for you. You know what was beside my high school graduation picture? This phrase, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Ouch. Still hurts to this day. We all have opinions and we know how they operate, right? Not all of them need to be spoken. Not all of them should be typed out on your Facebook feed in all caps, right? And some of them, I hope, should be open to change. But the truth is I can get stuck in my opinions easily because I like to be right. So do you. Here's an ugly one. I can often get stuck in my prejudice. Nobody likes to talk about this. No one likes to talk about it, but there's a question that all of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus have to confront at some point. I don't care who you are, what color you are, what nationality you are, what, what camp creed that you come from. All of us at some point, if we call Jesus Lord and Savior, have to answer this question. Is there any prejudice in my heart towards anyone? It gets really quiet at this point in the service every time I say that. Is there any prejudice in my heart towards anyone. Again, I don't care what color, creed, or nationality you are, the question still stands. Do you carry any prejudice in your heart towards anyone? Racism, socioeconomic bias, elitism, it comes in all shapes and sizes, and I've learned it can run both directions up and down the socioeconomic scale. It can touch any creed, any color, any nationality, and it's easy to get stuck there. You know where it's easy to get stuck? Because your automatic reaction is, of course not. I hold no prejudice in my heart at all. Are we sure? When you see another person, do they start with a completely clean slate? Or do you have an idea or a perception just based on outward appearance? Do you view every single human being exactly the way you view the person that looks back at you in the mirror? I saw prejudice come against a group of people that as a church we're trying to help in Thailand, we actually got to spend several hours on a longboat heading out to an island that's inhabited by a gracious, wonderful group of people called the Mokans. The Mokan people of Thailand are outcast sea gypsies. They don't rank, they don't count to many people, and it drove me a little crazy because I would hear stories as to how they were affected and taken advantage of because they don't really belong to anybody. They literally don't rank in that culture. Nobody cares about them except for you people, because you've actually been helping support a school that looks after their kids. On behalf of the Mokans, thank you. They're very grateful for your help. It drove me a little crazy, and the injustice of it actually infuriated me, and it drove me a little crazy because God kept pressing in on me this thought. Grant, it's so easy to point out the prejudice in other people. Really, really difficult to identify it in yourself and to call it what it is. Here's something else that I often get stuck. I often get stuck in my convenience. I discovered something while I was in Southeast Asia. I like 72 degrees with scattered cloud cover. <laughs> I like it because it's warm but not sticky. It's comfortable but not stretching. If you put me in Bangkok with 100% humidity and 92 degrees, a part of Grant comes out that is not very pretty. Because in my little bubble, in my little world, nothing sticks. <laughs> nothing is allowed to drip. Nothing is allowed to stick. You know, like skin's not allowed to be tacky. I like 72 degrees where it's very, very comfortable. That's just what I like. I also like a personal space of 18 inches. Okay, I don't like anybody getting inside my 18-inch bubble. You need to stay outside there. Unless, of course, I initiate a hug, which is totally different because in my bubble, that's the way it works. In your bubble, you get inside my 18 inches. That is not cool. You need to step back and step off, okay? 
That's just kind of how it works. And we all have one of those deals. And the reality is I could use that as an excuse and hide within my bubble. But then again, if I did that, I'd never get to hug a Thai brother or a Thai sister. Who, by the way, are very uncomfortable with that kind of expression of affection. Which in my brain doesn't work because that's the way you're supposed to do it, right? If I initiate a hug, you're supposed to hug me back. And why in the world would somebody want to return my degree of affection with a sawadika or sawadika if you're a lady? Could it be that maybe, that maybe I'm not right? Could it be that both expressions are actually just a beautiful picture of how creative God is in different cultures? Could it be that they're both an unbelievable blessing? We get so stuck inside of a bubble. And it's been funny to watch you guys over the last six or seven minutes because when some of you heard 72 degrees non-sticky, you started nodding your head. When you started talking about how your world falls apart when your football team loses, some of you started nodding your head. We talked about preferences. Everybody reacted to the prejudice world. You know what that was? That was your bubble. Because you've got your way of looking at the world too. In fact, I gave you an opportunity in your outline to fill in one of the blanks. I, I listed off some of my places where I naturally get stuck. Well, I'd like to know where would you... Well, what would you put in your little blank? I added one more just to make all of us squirm because I figured it's just a fun way to do that because I have no filter because I've got jet lag. So I often get stuck in my sin. And we all have that in common. Our secret sin, our public sin, the things that we like to talk about, the things that we keep to ourselves. There's the ethical sins like gluttony or the white lies that we tell that we put in a different category to make ourselves feel better. And then there's the ones, of course, that just scream evil and we try to, to manage those as best we can. It's a common place to get stuck because I don't know if you've noticed this, but sin has the appearance that it gets better with repetition and practice. We get used to it. We get used to managing our brokenness and our dysfunction. And as long as it stays inside of our cute little bubble, it's all okay. And I'm going to say this, because I want to put a caveat around this. Not all of the above are sinful, but they're often connected to a sinful pattern. I mean, there's nothing sinful about my background. I just was born where I was born. I didn't get to pick my parents any more than you got to pick yours. Nothing sinful about my background, but all of them can connect to a sinful pattern if I let them go that way. I mean, the truth is my background can lead to elitism, my wiring can lead to excuses, my problems can lead to anger, my opinion can lead to prejudice, my prejudice can lead to exclusion, my convenience can lead to apathy. Let me say that again because I think it's prevalent in our culture. My convenience can lead to apathy. Let me say it again and maybe somebody will say amen and agree with me. My convenience can lead to apathy. My blank, whatever it is, can lead me to who knows where, and my sin can ultimately lead me to hell if I don't find a way to get unstuck. Welcome to the series. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is David. King David was a stuck in a, in a pattern of sin and entitlement. The Bible tells us instead of going off to war with his troops, which he was supposed to do as a king, lead his troops into battle, he made a decision. Because he was the king, he wanted to stay home in his cute little bubble. He preferred his palace to the conflict of where his men were fighting. David is inside of his cute little, little bubble, and he goes for a walk each evening, and he ends up out on his balcony. If you ever travel with me to Jerusalem, which I'm about 45 of you are going to be doing in a couple months, I'm super excited about going back there, you'll notice something. Jerusalem is built on terraces. The king's palace was at the top of the terrace, the top of the mountain, so he looked down over everybody's rooftop, and one night David goes for a walk over his balcony, and he sees something that he shouldn't have allowed his eyes to linger on. He sees a woman bathing on her rooftop. And his eyes linger. 
and he sins, and every guy in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about, because that's inside of your bubble too. The king becomes a peeping Dave. It's not pretty. David seduces the woman. He commits adultery before he even touches her. And when he summons her to the palace, he's in so deep, he justifies it. Because after all, in his kingly little bubble, he sets the rules and he thought it was okay. Apathy turns to voyeurism. Voyeurism into adultery. Adultery into conspiracy. And conspiracy ultimately turns into murder. It's a tragic story. You should read it. Nobody ever sees the slippery slope of sin. You know why? Because we're stuck inside of our little bubble. David gets caught up in it, and then he gets caught with it when a friend loves him enough to confront him and say, David, you're messing with the wrong stuff, and God's been watching you this entire time. And after getting caught, after being stuck, David does what artists do. He sings, he writes a song, and he writes a prayer, and this is the ugly side of Psalm 51. Everybody loves to jump to verse 9 and 10, the pretty little prayer at the end of it. We love that part. We write songs about it in church. We don't usually preach the ugly side of Psalm 51, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Here's what David says and sings. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Listen to this. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. After David pours out his heart before God, the man after God's own heart, he begins to discover that God doesn't want him to stay stuck. He doesn't want him to be rooted in that pattern. He wants to break out of the maze and actually live free. As the words and lyrics begin to flow, David finds a way to get unstuck. The first revelation goes like this. You need to own the fact that you're actually stuck. David just lays it out. You can hear it in his prayer. I need mercy. I'm caught in a cycle only God can break. I need compassion. I need cleansing. My sin is right in front of me all the time. Even when I pretend it's not there, every time I look in the mirror, everything that's wrong with me is right in my face. We all know what that feels like. You look at yourself and you never see the best of you. You always see the worst of you. Because that's the secret stuff that we keep tucked in the back of our minds. And we learn, we become professionals at ignoring it, Right? We can ignore it. I do that all the time, but here's what I have to acknowledge. When I ignore it on purpose, what I'm doing is trying to make my conscience feel better, and the fact that I'm working that hard to ignore it just proves the fact that it's there. So it's a good question to ask yourself every once in a while. When it comes to sin, what are you ignoring on purpose? Because maybe that's what God wants to deal with. We're all stuck in that pattern, but there's a way out. And David begins to understand that the path to stuck is always between you and God. It's always between him and God. I mean, even though our sin may involve other people, any sin, every single sin is solely between us, the sinner, and God, the Savior. 
He's the righteous judge, and it is to him and him alone that we're going to give an account. Honestly, I find it easier to justify and deal with my sin when it deals with another human being. Because when it's just between God and I, that just seems really intimidating. I prefer it when it's between me and another person because then I can actually say, look, it's not that big of a deal. You just need to get over it. Like, I asked for forgiveness, so can we just move on? To think that every sin is a sin against God himself makes that a really big deal, and it confronts my tendency to want to minimize it all the time. Does anybody else in the room want to find that we do that? just want to minimize it and make it small. It's not that big of a deal. In fact, maybe you've heard yourself saying this. I know I've said it before. I'm not hurting anybody else, so it's no big deal. Apparently, that's not what God thinks. Apparently, what God thinks is this. Every single sin that Grant Fishbook has ever done, whether he wants to minimize it or rename it in order to make himself, make himself feel better, every single sin he's ever committed required the life of Jesus Christ to cover it. It's a big deal. That pattern can only be broken one way, and the only way out is confession which is owning and acknowledging and following God's path out. I love this. David's so honest. He starts, says, I started out sinful and I'm still stuck there. He goes, when I was born, when I was emerging from my mother, I was a narcissistic little savage and now I've discovered years later, now that I'm the king of Israel, I'm still a narcissistic little savage. That's not a fun place to be. He says, I'm stuck, but God is faithful. Now he's calling me to be faithful. And boy, we can all testify to God's faithfulness, can't we? Because we experience it every day when we see his patience and his forgiveness and his restoration. So David appeals to God knowing that receiving God's healing is the first step on the way to getting unstuck. Do you hear what he says? He says, set me free from sin. Set me free from my natural tendency to rebel against you. Set me free. Clean me up as white as snow and let the broken give a shout of praise. By the end of his prayer, David is saying, I want to give glory to God for one reason. Because God chooses to hide his face from my sin and instead look at my soul. God doesn't just bypass our brokenness. God chooses to look away from that which offends him and to look to our soul. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when he sees your soul, he sees his son's spotless record first. None of us stand in front of God with our own resume. We stand in front of God because the resume of Jesus hangs over top of us like a robe. And Jesus stands there and says, Dad... Everything I've ever done right has been given as a gift to this son or daughter. And that's why you should welcome him or her. And that's why it's amazing when, G, when God the Father says, well, then welcome home. Amen. <sighs> Even with jet lag, that's awesome. You know, nobody likes to preach the ugly part of Psalm 51. We like, we like the pretty part of it. We like the part that we turn into a song because it makes us happy. Well, now that we've experienced the ugly part of the story, maybe it'll make this part a little more precious. Here's the prayer of the stuck. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't freak out. Remember, it's an Old Testament prayer. I'll unpack that another week. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
Then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord. My mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. David cries out from the bottom of his heart, God, here's the deal. I can't bring you the best of me because there is no best of me. I can't even claim to be a good person because I'm not. I've been confronted face on with the pain of what I've caused because of Bathsheba and her husband and this whole messy story. I come to you with my broken record. God, here's all my broken toys. Here's my comfortable little bubble. Thank you for being willing to accept the worst of me and to give me the best of you in exchange. From the pit of despair, David begins to cry out. I mean, he goes full-on worship crazy in this moment. And he, David's a good theologian because he starts unpacking not what he's done for God, but what God has done for him. He starts bragging about what God can do, what only God can do. I paraphrased it for you. It's in your outline. Only God can create a clean heart. Only God can clean that up, a heart that doesn't need to cower or ignore or repeat or close itself off for fear of being hurt. And David appeals to God, God, I know you can. Would you create, just like you created out of nothing when you created the world, would you create out of the nothingness of me a pure heart, a clean heart, a heart that's not infected with sin anymore, a heart that's been washed as white as snow? I know you can. My prayer is that you will. Only God can create a clean heart. Secondly, only God can renew a broken track record. David appeals to his God. Take the brokenness of the past and transform it into the beauty of your deliverance. God, I want to be able to brag about what you've taken me from. I don't want to fixate on the past anymore. God, instead, I want to use this past, this pile of sin. I'm going to stand on top of it and shout about how amazing my God is because he was able to deliver me from being stuck underneath of this pile. Now I stand on top of it and use it as a platform to praise God. Thirdly, only God can restore a lost hope. David's hope is gone. He thinks he's inextricably broken, and yet he appeals to a God who says, I can put the pieces back together. I'll be honest with you. My prayer when I left 16 days ago was, God, I need you to renew my hope. I need you to renew my hope, because sometimes I wonder whether God made a mistake when he chose us as his plan A. Because sometimes, can we, can we just be honest? Sometimes the bride of Christ, she's not very pretty. She's mean. She can bite. Some of you have been hurt by the bride. You understand that. And yet God has not changed his plan to transform the world. Do yourself a favor. Don't talk smack about God's girlfriend. It doesn't go well for us when we do that. She's still the bride, and at the end of the book, the bride wears white, not because she deserves to, but because the bridegroom says she gets to. And like it or not, we're all a part of the bride. Welcome to the dysfunctional family. So glad that you're here. You think you're messed up? Try checking with the pastor. I mean, I got a big sin pile I'm trying to deal with. The cool thing is not dealing with it anymore, Jesus is. That's kind of cool. I needed to have my hope renewed. So I show up on the other side of the world thinking I've got a few things to offer, and here's what I find. Most of the pastors over there are less than half my age. 
There's just something tragically wrong with that. And I'm sitting at these tables with these guys, just having a conversation back and forth. And they're saying this to me, Grant, here's the deal with Thailand. Less than 1% of the people here are followers of Jesus. But that is changing every single day. We're planting churches right and left. We don't count the number of churches we've planted in months and years. We count them in weeks. Because it's growing that fast. It's unbelievable. In fact, they said, we, we've created this national plan that literally encompasses the entire they actually have a website where they can map, map out every single believer that's in every province, district, and sub-district across the entire country. They know every single person by name. They can actually type them in. They're, they're in a movement right now. They're just like, this whole denominational thing, that's just stupid. That's just stupid. It's just one body. It's one bride. So they've actually united under one name, Jesus. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. And they don't give a rip whether you speak in tongues, don't speak in tongues, whether you sing hymns or worship courses. They're just like, that is the most irrelevant conversation that we should be having. We're only caring about one single thing in Thailand. People need Jesus. I'm like, we need that message. We need to bring that home. I went there to give something. Guess what? You've experienced it if you've done it. I came home so unbelievably blessed. I'm so lit up right now. I mean, I don't care about jet lag or not. People need Jesus. That's it. In Thailand, God restored my hope. The hope that Jesus is the only answer. The church that, in, or the, the, the idea that in spite of how broken the church can be at times that the church of Jesus is alive and well and thriving. Let's keep going. I've got to wrap this up. David begins to brag again that only God can turn a failure into a teacher. Some of you have disqualified yourself because of your broken past. Can I tell you something? Your past is either Satan's greatest weapon or God's greatest tool. And he can use you to teach others the right way to walk. David is poised to become a teacher of God's grace because he's actually going to experience it. I have a little poem that I keep in my Bible. One of the lines says this, the best of all the teachers are those who live their creeds because to see the truth in action, that's what everybody needs. All of us are poised to become teachers if we'll simply allow God to deal with that little bubble that we safely retreat inside of every time we're scared. Let's keep going. Only God can transform a wreck into a worshiper. David gets up on the top of his sin pile and he starts singing at the top of his lungs. We should do that. We should do that. I don't care if you know the words or not. The Bible says make a joyful noise. Just make some noise. Stand on the top of what you used to be and talk about how amazing it is that God would turn you, transform you from a wreck into a worshiper. Can I get an amen from 1115? And finally, only God can receive a sacrifice from the stuck and actually turn it into freedom. I'll say it again. God wants our broken toys. He wants to take that and replace that with himself. Only God can do that. Self-help section at Barnes & Noble can't do that. The perpetually satisfied, I'm okay in my little bubble, that can't accomplish that either. Only God can do that kind of transformation. But just like David, if we want to get unstuck, we've got to take a step. You've got to step out. You can't free yourself, but you've got to take a step in the direction of God. If you do it on your own strength, I promise you, you're going to end up in another rut. Can I redefine a rut for you? A rut is a grave 
with the ends kicked out. And can we be honest, for most of us, if we looked back one calendar year, we're not that much different than we were a year ago. We do the same things, with the same people, with the same purpose, because it's just tidy and easier. And God says, I called you to a life more abundant than your bubble. Maybe we need a new direction, a new opportunity. Some of you actually need to go to the other side of the world to experience what God's doing. Out in the commons this morning, Pastor Denny's out there. She's our missions pastor. There's opportunities this year to go. And I know you're, you, you can already start making excuses. I can't afford it. That's your bubble. Can we be honest about something? If you saved your coffee budget for one year in Whatcom County, you'd be most of the way there. And I'm not judging your coffee addict, your coffee addiction. I, I sit in the same lines as you guys do. I, I see you, right? Because we line up in the same line every morning at the same time to buy the same beverage. Don't tell me we don't have a bubble that we like. We have opportunities this year to go to Kenya. We have opportunities to go back to Thailand. You're like, I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do. You're a child of God. You have so much to offer. And what about this? What if you didn't go to give? What if you went to actually receive what God has waiting for you over there? Believe it or not, there's a whole other world out there doing what we're doing. It's crazy. And some of them are very gracious. And some of them will greet you this way. And then your bubble and their bubble can collide and we'll leave the results up to God. We have an amazing opportunity to go to Rome about halfway through this year. Under the year of Jubilee, there are people that are very spiritual that are going there to get absolution in Rome. They actually believe forgiveness is waiting for them in a city. I'm looking for a group of radical, upside-down Jesus freaks that are just crazy enough to believe that God could facilitate a conversation between them and a person who's standing in line waiting to get forgiveness, and you would be able to share them how you found forgiveness. I don't think you had to walk through an arch to get it. I think you had to walk to Jesus to get it. That could be a good place to start. There's a Missions 360 coming up. Opportunity to hear about all the different opportunities. I know, you're going to have to step outside of your bubble because you probably do the same thing every Saturday morning. Because that's your bubble. But maybe that's your step of faith. The commons is full of opportunities to step out. Can I, can I implore you to think and consider one? There's a new class starts Monday night. It's called Why Christians Stay Stuck. It's taught by a great friend of mine. She's an amazing counselor. Her name's Carolyn Merriman. If you feel like you've been locked in your bubble for too long, you've got to take a step and go that direction. This whole series is going to be about stepping beyond our bubble and breaking free. Let me share one little story with you and then we're going to wrap up. We made a stop one day on our way between some speaking engagements to stop at the ancient city outside of Bangkok. It's the birthplace of Buddhism. And I was there with our team. We were having an amazing time just touring this, this historical landmark because it has a lot to do with what we were trying to accomplish. And I met two wonderful young men. I'd like to show you a picture of them. They're both from Myanmar. Uh, I think it's interesting. You notice his iPad? 
<laughs> just kind of stuck out to me, right? He pulls it out of his robe. iPad, Google Translate, what a great program. It's awesome when there's a language barrier. And we're having an opportunity to, on their turf, have a conversation about what they believe. And they were, they were sharing with me the five basic principles of Buddhism and, and how they were training to try and, and get to this place. And I said, well, I asked them that question, especially the young guy on the left that's holding the iPad. He said, what do you really want? He said, peace and enlightenment. I said, do you ever think you're going to attain it? And he shook his head and said, I don't think so. Chasing something he doesn't even believe he can attain. So I shared with him, I said, this might be new, but I need you to know something. You don't need to pursue peace because the Prince of Peace pursued you. You don't need to become enlightened because the light of the world came here looking for you. That's all I got to say. And then their mentor showed up and took the conversation in a completely different direction. It was not surprising to me because their mentor was a Buddhist monk from Toronto, Canada. Let's blame it on the Canadians, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I could have walked away discouraged that I didn't get to share more <laughs> but this one thing I know the Bible says do not despise the day of small beginnings and I'm not in charge of making the seed grow my job is simply to make sure the seed gets planted and Jesus Christ the savior of the world is in charge of those seeds and he loves them more than I ever possibly could. And this one thing I know, two young men that are chasing peace now have the Prince of Peace hot on their tail. And it's only, I believe, a matter of time until they have to have some kind of a confrontation. And that's God's business. You know, maybe you've been stuck trying to find peace. Maybe you've been stuck in a sinful pattern. Maybe you're stuck in good intentions. Maybe you're just stuck in the same old thing every single day. I would challenge you to do something. Look at your schedule this week from a different perspective. If you do the same thing pretty much 80% of the time, I got news for you. You're stuck. You're stuck. And God doesn't want us there. So maybe we should pray the same prayer that David prayed as we bring our time to a close today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Oh, Jesus. Would you create in us a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Don't cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us, but restore to us the joy of our salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Because God, then, uh, we will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver us from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God, you who are God, our Savior, and our tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open our lips, Lord, and our mouths will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or we would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So our sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Father, I thank you that you are a God who looks at us, turns your face away from all of our sin, and instead looks deeply into our soul. I thank you that you look with love. We welcome you to look with judgment. God, would you help us to become unstuck? Lord, we want to be stuck in the hole anymore. We don't want to do the bubble anymore. God, we're sick and tired. So God, would you wash us as white as snow? Would you turn train wrecks into teachers? Would you turn wrecks into worshipers? God, would you do inside of us what we can't possibly do ourselves? God, unleash us in a direction. God, give us courage to take that step of faith whether it's to the other side of the world or a classroom on Monday night or to share with our neighbor about the Jesus who saved our soul. God, would you radically change us from the inside out? God, thank you for David's honesty and transparency. Lord, may our own sin confront us face to face this week. And may we run to Jesus, the author and forgiver of our of our. our our brokenness and our healing. Oh God, would you set your people free? We don't want to be stuck anymore. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people say.